Lightning Podcast. I got a special guest with me today. It's Wesley Hope, right? Hoppy. Hoppy, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to read. But Wesley Hoppy, I'm sorry about that, man. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to get to talk to you. Um, and I just want to say straight up um, from the very jump of this podcast, um, thank you for being a part of the Preppers Club. That means a lot to me. And I know that network's growing. And anyone who's listening to this show, um, as a member, I'm always there for you. I'm always helping out. I'd love to have you on the show, too. And I just hope you're enjoying that club. And I appreciate you getting in kind of on the ground floor. of it. And I think you've been with us for quite a while. So you're kind of seeing the growth of the club. Oh, yeah. I think it's been a month or so since I've joined the Preppers Club. Nice, nice. Yeah, so hopefully uh, hopefully that just continues to grow. I think the cool thing about it is we're able to share information on a platform that we don't have to worry about getting deplatformed on. Oh, yeah, that's definitely the one thing I like about it. It's basically, people aren't on it. It's basically like a Facebook or Instagram for Preppers where there's none of that cancel culture and you're actually able to build off of each other. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing to me too. Is just the niche. It's a niche within a niche within a niche, and hopefully we get people who are just super dialed in. But um, like I like to do with a lot of guests is like, what is the genesis of your prepper preparedness story? Like, what was the thing that kind of got you involved? Oh well, what it was is like growing up. I remember uh, like my grandfather's my grandparents always had like the news on. There was some deal or talking about like uh, the seventy-two hour kits for like tornadoes because I'm in the, the twin cities in Minnesota. So I'm like, all right, cool. I started going for that and kind of lost interest but having ADHD as a child. That happens all the time. And then I just kind of think it was around 2018. I started getting back into it. And then I kind of, I started off kind of slow because that's back when uh, a lot of people is basically the only thing for preppers out there was the show the doomsday preppers. They, they had that crazy look at them. And through YouTube, I just kind of started finding out people. Really, a lot of people do a lot smaller base. And I think it was around 2018, I started getting back into it. And then around 2020, around COVID, it's kind of where I, I started like looking, okay, I got to have an actual go bag and actually work on food supply. Yeah, 2020 was definitely a, a kind of a realization that a lot of the stuff you may be seeing on Doomsday Prepper wasn't that crazy, even though maybe the people were, the events were definitely possible and uh, definitely real. So, oh, oh yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's kind of funny in retrospect, and I don't know if you've done it lately, but I've been, I've personally been on a little bit of a kick of going back and watching some of the episodes because without fail, they tell you that the likelihood of that event is super low, no matter what it is, right? But then oh, so yeah. many, so many of them have happened since that show came out. It's it's kind of funny, and I think we have um, one of the common ones that people were preparing for. I think we're starting to kind of see, see it looming in the future, but as the collapse of the U S dollar, as we go off being the, the reserve, the world reserve currency. So that's been pretty big on my radar. Um, what has been kind of catching your eye on the prepping radar? Yeah, a lot of the radar, a lot of the, uh, uh, probably the walk agenda is they're pushing towards kids. And then that another, I know you did a podcast where like the second Great Depression, I'm looking at, that's a lot of my radar, looking at the uh, attacks on power grids and a lot of the supply logistics. Yeah, now those attacks on the power grid um, and these train derailments, it was hitting the news and hitting everybody's speeds really, really quick. 
And I think uh, social media, talk about the cancel culture, somehow that algorithm has slowed down those events being pushed out because the events themselves have not slowed down. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, no, yeah, it got to the point where I was on the preference cover, people are talking, like, how many train derailments was? And I'm like, I thought it was only two people. Like, no, it's three right now. Like, geez. Yeah, and it's a a lot more every day. You got to get off of, for people listening to this, if you want to get an idea of how many it really is, you got to use a different um, search engine than um, Google. But if you just Google train derailment, go to like the news section it, it's it's weekly if not almost daily there's some sort of incident and, and it's just mind-blowing that what's going on now have yeah. you done uh have you done like kind of an area assessment for you at where you're at are you near any trains uh we not we're we're i have like a train track that's maybe like, like a couple blocks away like it's used maybe like once a day and i think those are mainly like freight cars that are like half the length of normal trains and it might be only be like once a week, and then I probably a mile or so. There's one that gets used a couple times. That's freight cars and the uh, tankers too. Yeah. See, I did. Uh, with all this going on, I had to do an assessment assessment myself. And I'm in East Texas, so it's like kind of oil field country and natural gas and energy country out here. And I was kind of shocked about the amount of um, stuff that goes right by us. And I was thinking, man, I I don't know what I would do. I, I mean, I know what I do, but I don't know if I'm really, really prepared to be in a bug out situation because I don't know how these people who I would never live in that town again if I was in that um, town in Ohio. I would just have to go. I couldn't do it to myself. Oh, no. Yeah, when it's like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of chemicals out, but air is safe to breathe. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not trusting the government for ever, anything anymore ever. I would just... uh. I'd probably have to just not come back when they're talking about the water's contaminated, the air's contaminated. You know, good luck eating any locally sourced food for the next however long. But it's just, it's weird times that we're living in. And I can't stress to people um, how important an area assessment is. I don't know, um, is that something that you've done a real deep dive on yourself? Not not too much. Like, I kind of know it goes around the area because I was doing that 75 hard. I was doing, I rucked every morning for 45 minutes. Like, I kind of know what's going on in the area a little bit. But I, when I drive around, I try to keep an eye out. But, yeah, I haven't really done, like, a deep, too deep of a dive of what's going on. But I try to keep my ear to the ground somewhat. Right. I think so. That's 75 hard, actually. That That is very cool that you mentioned that. And congratulations on that. I know exactly oh, yeah, how I know exactly how hard that is. But that was one of the cool things when I was doing 75 hard as well as I actually tried to go explore some new places to do the outdoor workout just so I could get a little bit more familiar with where I'm at and what's around me. Because we have been here for seven years and I don't know the place like the back of my hand just because I didn't grow up here. And so much of what I do now is just work related. It's kind of go home, go to work. So I don't have, I'm not really immersed in growing up here because when you grow up somewhere, you kind of get to roam the streets a little bit more versus when you move. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
so as you work in that type of environment and, and you're not really getting exposed to the area as much as an adult, it's definitely harder to do. But I use that 75 hard to not only get an idea of the good parts of town, but also, also the rough parts of town, too. Um, I think it's very important for people to get a grasp of um, is what's kind of right by them. One of the things I remember, and I don't know if you remember watching this, is the riots in Baltimore. But they literally had um, on going across the news this like these streets are no longer under police control and then you looked on the social medias and you're following up what was going on they had literal gangs who were diverting these riots from going down certain areas and where i grew up when it was in the city you're one or two blocks away from very heavily gang territory versus just kind of not. So I think a lot of people might not know how close they are to a real rough neighborhood if they haven't done an area assessment to where they live. Um, part of that area assessment too is understanding how big your police force is. Is that something you're familiar with? Yeah, I don't think the police force is too big in my area. Like I'm not in like the heart of like downtown Minneapolis. I'm kind of, I'm more like the outer part. So it's not as big, big of a crime area, but it's, I think we still have a smaller police force, but yeah, it's definitely something I, I don't, I, I don't, I see, you see cops run around a little bit, not too much. Right. So um, the thing that concerns me, and this might be something for people who listen to this podcast to think about who live in a little bit smaller towns, maybe a smaller police force is person to person most police forces in those rural areas, there's a lot more people than there are cops. So they're going to have to bring in people from the outside. And you run, I think, to, into a very big problem with that during the SHTF scenario is because if they bring in an outside police force or in my area when COVID was going off really big, they brought in the National Guard. Um, did that happen in your area? They, they only had the National Guard presence during the uh, Minneapolis riots. For as far as I know, but that was, they were only, I think, out here for maybe a half week to a week in some areas. Okay, see that now when they brought in, like when COVID was first starting, they had the National Guard come out here and they were hosting testing centers. And um, it was very intense and they were very strict. And that comes along with um, not knowing the population. So I think there's a big danger in that that people are not familiar with. But if you have a small police force, they're going to have to ask for help. And they're going to bring in people who are not really too friendly to the situation or the area because they're from the outside of it. Um, did you kind of experience any of that with the National Guard being there? No, not really. Like, there was a National Guard in, like, ever in, in my area. The closest I think they got for us during that riot was like, like a half hour or 20 minutes away. So I would, I mainly saw like their, their convoys on the highway going around, driving around, but not actually like in my uh, close area proximity, my, where I work. Cause I, I only work five minutes from my house. So, Oh, nice. Which, which you is, you don't need a big nice. get home bag then. <laughs> oh no. I had a, I had my, I, was, I have a get home bag. That's about 22 pounds. And I'm like, all right, well, this is my get home. My I basically call it my long range get home bag or my bug out bag. Like it's it can't sustain me for that 72 hours if it needed to. Then I actually built a second get home bag that's only maybe like five seven pounds, just for that half hour walk I have or up to like a day if I'm traveling around somewhere. 
Right. That's, I think that's uh, one thing is I became more familiar with prepping and then really just getting out and actually doing the work of prepping is I went from like a huge 50 pound load out to I'm like down to six pounds now. And that's it. I'm good to go, you know? Oh yeah. That was the deal. Cause I, the guy, I like, okay, this pack, like I weighed it when I first, the heavy one, I first got it right. Yeah. First got set. I'm like, all right, this will work. I'm like, start doing 75 hard with it on. I'm like, Oh man, I got to adjust these straps more. I got to, like I didn't have to like cutting weight on it, but like I adjust the strap, make sure it sits right and everything's otherwise it gets too tiring about halfway in my walk or my rock. <laughs> right. Now I'm on the opposite side at it cinched down a lot because I lost so much weight. Now I'm having to readjust it because I put some weight back on since 75 hard. So it's, it's one of those things you gotta really be in tune with your bag. One of the one of the things I did with my bag too was I adjusted where stuff sat in it so it was more comfortable. Is that something you experienced too? Oh yeah, when I when I I first tested it out, I had my water bottle and it had like in the center of the, my bag, it just dug into my spine. I'm like, eh, I'm going to put that somewhere else. I, <laughs> and, I don't that want... is, and that's all stuff people don't think about when they don't actually use their gear. And I mean, you're doing 75 hard. It is a stressful environment, right? But it's not like a life or death in stressful environment or a really like big life or death situation. Like you have the time to slow down and adjust it. If you're not dialed in with your bag, in some cases, you might not have that time to slow down and adjust it. Then you're making yourself miserable. Oh, yeah. It's 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 like always checking your gear. Because like when I set my chest rig up, I'm like, all right, cool. I got this nice chest rig. I got my long gun mags on it. I got my sidearm mags. I got my medical. I put my belt on. I'm like, well, I got to figure this out because the chest rig sat so low. There's a bigger one. It was riding on my belt. I'm like, I got to... Figure, figure out how to do this like all i did was my, it was a cheap fix i took a shamogs and wrapped around the shoulder straps to give like a quarter inch raise or eighth of inch raise which was just enough where it wouldn't catch my belt and make it a little bit more comfortable see i i started out with the chest rig and then i switched to just a straight up battle belt because we were doing kind of like a pistol class or a, it was a pistol rifle class and they had you drop down and i dropped down right on top of those magazines on my chest I was like, I'd never want to feel that again. <laughs> so I just switched, switched straight to the battle belt. I don't know. Have, have you done any, like, active shooting with the chest rig on? No, I, I haven't done anything like that. I The closest, like, outdoor range where I can do a lot of stuff is, like, an hour away. So I still got to do that. But I'm, I'm, I just ordered a plate carrier and a bat, uh, battle belt, like, a couple months. I'm still waiting for that to get shipped. So I want to get that set up and start training with that. Yeah, that's uh, that's something way better. I'll um, during the winter it was a little easier to do. I feel like it would still look a little too weird. But I put that plate carrier on, and then my sweater over it, then kind of run around with that, and that's that's quite a workout in itself with your with your bug out bag on too. When you're like that much weight in, and I see these guys who, um, man, I just I challenge them to do like I I challenge a lot of people all the time to just do a, a three miles a five k. Um, with their gear on it's always amazing to me how quick people's plans want to change now one thing i try to emphasize a lot too is um, the four pillars of prepping and one of them is survival skills um, do you work on that at all what are your survival skills like yeah i do that i do yeah i like i when i go camping people like my go i every year i go camping up with my grandfather up in the the two harbors area and he's like hey let's put kerosene and use a lighter to start a fire and it's like no Give me like five minutes. Let me scrape some wood and use a ferro rod. 
that like I, I try I try to do that if I have a barbecue or like a fire at the house. I'm like, all right, let's just try to use a ferro rod for a while. And if, it, if we can't get it, we can use the match, but at least try it with it to try out a little bit. Yeah, to get a little bit of a practice in and just uh, the familiarity with it. So it's not the first time you have to do it in a survival situation. Um, just the other day, we got kind of a, a little area close to my work that people kind of go hang out and they smoke. It's a little off site, but it's um, it's very wooded and there was a lot of down trees. So we were just sitting there and I was kind of like showing them how to build a little survival shelter. And even though it wasn't something I was going to sleep in for the night, it was fun just to practice that skill. And I happened to go back and check on it today after we had some weather and it was like a super dry spot. I was like, oh man, it actually really would have worked. I'm glad I got to practice that skill because if you're not practicing that stuff, you don't want to find out what the flaws were when you're in that situation. Oh yeah. I've done, I've tried making a shelter in my backyard off a, like using a, like a shower curtain and like a garbage bag. I got to work. It didn't rain. I spent half the night in it. And the only reason I went inside to sleep last night is because the neighbors were up having a bonfire. <laughs> and you know what? That is, that is because so I encourage people to do something just as simple as a backyard camp all the time. Even if it's with a tent, you, you bring a, a nice, like you, you just like you're going camping in a luxurious situation, just getting acclimated to sleeping outside can be so much different just from the noises that are um, out there and just getting your body familiar with it. Um, I think is, is invaluable in the long term. the more comfortable you are with just camping outside. And I'll do that with the kids um, from time to time during the summer is we'll just set up the tent outside. It's nothing too serious, but we get a chance to start a fire using, using a primitive skill or not a super conventional skill um, like a lighter or something something like that. And then just camping in the tent in your own backyard. I think too many people, you could test your gear in such a simpler situation like that. They say, Oh, I got to go on a huge camping trip when really you can't just do it in your backyard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me and my dad did that. We used our, uh, we have like a collapsible fish house and we set that up. We actually spent, uh, well, let's see last winter. We spent one night and this year we spent one night in it. And we're using nice. the first time we used like one pound propane tanks. And it, we were shocked by how much like gas we use trying to keep the, the fish house warm. And it's just like a four man fish house. And then we use the 20 pounder and we, that, we were like, okay, if we have to use heat for long term, we're using a 20 pounder, not one pounders. And see, you don't know that until you actually practice that. So that's so cool to hear because I see people who are, um, stocking up a little propane for their um, Coleman stove to cook with during SHTF. Right. But then they've oh, never yeah. cooked. They've never cooked with it. So they have no idea. Like how long is that propane can going to last you based on how you cook based on the meals that you plan to make. You, you, I think that's a good takeaway for this podcast for anyone who's listening is there are simple ways to practice this stuff. You could just make a meal one night using your propane stove, or you could just camp out in a shelter like that for one night using the stove you're going to use. And like to your surprise, you're surprised how much you could do. So how much that, I mean, how much did that change your prepping plans? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, that, that, that deal, like after that, like, okay, I could take, you know, I think we figure it's like around a pound of propane for two hours or something. I think, I don't think our tanks are completely full for the one pounders, but then we're like, okay, well now we know like, okay, we're going to just use a 20 pounder. We got to make sure we have extra 20 pounders available. And then we, we have like wood stoves that we can use wood or charcoal that we, we stock up on. So, yeah, that's think- that's one thing too. Um, I grew up with a wood burning stove, so I'm like very acclimated and 
in tune with how much wood is actually needed to heat something throughout the night. And I see people who have these, these wood burning stoves that they're going to magically hook up during SHTF. And then they have a little tiny pile of wood. And I'm like, man, so what do you, do you plan on heating your house for an evening? Like what's, what's the game plan here? Oh yeah. Nikki. Cause like we, uh, we have a fireplace and we're, we're doing research on it. Your a fireplace loses like 70% of the heat just in like, through the chimney so like the wood-burning stoves actually the heat radiates off so we did that there's a video all over youtube or how you take an old uh, paint can and you make a wood-burning stove. we made two of those and we we have like a small or medium-sized garbage can just full of wood cut down to size ready to go just nice. for that yeah then we have nice. a bigger garbage can full of charcoal that we can use too if we needed to Nice, nice. Now on the on the promo picture, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. It looked like you got yourself quite a deer there. Yep, that was the yeah, that was the first deer I killed, uh, or I think it's the third I shot at. The first time I shot at a deer, I know I whiffed because, of course, I was seventeen or eighteen. Got a little excited, a little bit longer shot, and then one year we tracked it for a while. I think we lost in the woods, but yeah, this is the first one I shot. That was the one I shot and went twenty yards, I think. Nice. Yeah, first nice. yeah, first year I actually we got as a small four point buck. That's pretty cool. Have you shot anything since? No, that was uh that was just this last season. Okay, nice. So you but still yeah. eating them? Oh yeah, we, we still we still have most of the meat. We are we're like me and my me and my dad were talking, I wish we make sausage, we do this, we're like, oh we're just probably, we're kinda of like we're just gonna probably grill it up this summer when it warms up a little bit. Nice, nice. That's pretty cool. So, how about this? So, you hunt. So, you hunt fairly often, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I do uh, deer hunting. I do rifle deer hunting, and then I do uh, bird hunting for a uh, goose. So, so, what would you suggest or say to all the people who say, "I'm going to grab my gun and go hunt a deer," who don't do it regularly? Don't if they don't do it regularly, or I would say even for people that don't do it, or people that do do it regularly, it's like it's not going to work. There are because it's you have. Let's say you have to have four deer left over each season to repopulate to keep the deer going. Everybody's going to go out there. They're going to either spook the deer out of that area where it's not worth chasing down, or you're going to kill all the deer, or if you're and you're, then you have no food, or you're going to only eat off eat off venison the whole time or whatever animal you're killing, and you have no other nutritional stuff going in your stomach, so you'd be malnourished. Right, and that's a, that's a good point you touch on right there, and I don't think people um, appreciate that enough, is how quick things will get overhunted in a very, very bad situation. It's not going to – even the seasoned hunters and everybody's going to be struggling to have anything very quickly if everybody's going out there poaching deers and, and wild game and this and that. I think one of the good examples, if you haven't looked it up yourself or for anyone listening to this podcast – is to go take a look at Venezuela and what happened there because they hunted through a lot of the wild game so quick during their economy collapse that they were actually getting they were actually going to the zoos and getting animals. Have you ever looked at that? I, I never hear something about that. Yeah, that, that that's crazy. But yeah, like it, it's that deal where you once you kill that animal in the area, it, it takes a long time for it to come back. And the, the animals aren't going to come back if there's people walking around the woods trying to survive out there. Yeah, and just and just clapping anything in sight will be. It'll probably be three months, and you deers will be extinct. 
if, if, oh, people, yeah, just, if sure. people just go rogue and start taking out whatever. And I think that'll be um, that. I think that's one of the things that's maybe not talked about enough or thought about enough in um, the prepping community. And I, I talked about um, a loss, the prepping catastrophe that no one ever talks about is the collapse of the food supply. It's one of my oh, more yeah. popular episodes. But also, too, it, what, what about the collapse of the food supply on the other end where it's not the commercial farming or the commercial um, cattle, but it's just the overhunting? How quick that'll happen with the population of, how, what is it, 380 million or whatever whatever the population of the U.S. is? I, mean, I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But it's not yeah. going to take that long for a gun-friendly country to hunt through the food. And, and that deal too, where gun, guns aren't quiet. Like you fire a shot, people know what you shot at. People might come looking for that animal, and sometimes that deer can, can go a few hundred yards. Somebody else can get your deer before you get to it, or they wait for you and shoot you and take your stuff, which is a possibility. If, you, if food is bad enough, people will get desperate and they will do terrible things. Yeah, that's that's a big truth. So I think that's why um, I really harp on having the actual tent, like being your own resupply and having, you know, we have chickens. So if you we actually got a rooster, which we don't, but being able to cultivate your own food and be whether it's from your garden or whether it's your own meat supply, the less you have to rely on outside stuff that puts you in danger from having to go out and hunt while everyone's out hunting, that the more self-sustained you can get, the better. Whether it's just buying the food and buying two, three, four years worth of food, you're going to be way better off than anyone else who's going out hunting daily to get food. Oh, yeah, there's that. Yeah, there is that, you know, because there is the, it's also a deal where you, if you're walking through the woods, you walk through an unfamiliar area, you, you, you fall down a hill and you break your ankle or, or break your leg or something. Now you have to figure out how you get back to your base camp to get your next level of care. And just even those, even though again, those minor injuries where you're walking through brush and your arms get arms, the legs get cut up. Now you have to worry about infections. If you don't have a clean water source to wash out your wounds. Yeah. It can spiral out of control because you're exposing yourself to way more dangers. That's why I think uh, having a good bug out plan and not having to go into a situation like that for as long as possible is really the way to go. Oh, yeah, for sure. Ha definitely having stuff, like you said, having that resupply at your house or a close location is definitely good or at your bug out location. Now, do you have um, and it, it's an offset question. That's totally cool. Do you have a, and you don't want to answer, it's fine, but do you have a separate bug out location? I have a, an off, uh, I, I would call it more of like a bug, a bu an offsite bug in location because of how. I I have with my family we have people that have terrible medical conditions that can't go like live in the woods and are very very need of like medical medical stuff. So we have uh, if it gets bad enough here where we have to leave the, our our home, we have uh, uh, supplies up at an up at a family member's place a couple hours away. Nice. So yeah, we we have we have I think it's like a, some like a few days worth of food and stuff like that in case, you no, know, okay, hey, our house is not safe because of a riot or something or it's too bad. But we're, we're, we're looking, our goals this year is we're looking at home security this year, kind of like 
because we were looking like, okay, well, we can't put a permanent fence thing because where I live, it's kind of, they're, they're very picky what you do with your front yard. Like we can't even have chickens in our backyard here. Oh man. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of those. I don't know if it's because of an HOA or just the, within the city limits, but I think a lot of people, if it gets bad enough, are going to just start breaking those rules and tell them good luck, you know? Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it's that deal. If it starts getting bad enough, it's like, I really don't care about the city rules of having a fence <laughs> up right now. I'm like, I'm just yeah, going to make sure I have the stuff. It's like, you don't like it. That's cool. Give it a few more days and then tell me what you think. Yeah, send, send me that ticket. Put it in the mail, man. Put it on my tab. Oh, but I, think that, I think that's so smart of you. And, and that's one other thing that um, I preach is about um, working on your network of people and your group building. Your group could really be other family members who you just have extra food stored at. And, you know, you're a bug out location. They're a bug out location for you. And you're a bug out location for them. And you network and you work that together. I think that's that's awesome if you guys are, as a family, already thinking about stuff like that. Yeah, it's for people that don't know, like, oh, people think it's really because I got my but some family members kind of into it a little bit where it's kind of like, hey, here's the bag. Here's my bug out bag. I carry my vehicle. And it's like, I have this in case there's a disaster. And, and I don't. And it's like, well, and you don't make it it's like, oh, in case there's an apocalypse or you don't really get into detail. Like, in case of the situation, I don't want to wait in my truck for help. I have to get home for whatever reason. Here's the bag I have to get me home. I, I went, I did that. And my grandfather was like, ah, can I uh, get a bake? Can you build me a bake similar to yours? I'm like, sure. I'm like, I can do that. I'm like, I'm like, how far do you travel? He goes, well, I travel 10 miles a week. It's like, how far from me? I was two miles. I'm like, all right, cool. You get a light bug out bag then or get home. Right. Bag. That's awesome. See, that's, that's so cool. And that's what I try to do when I approach these situations with people is I don't try to go super doom and gloom, super down the rabbit hole right away. You could just start with the practicality of it because because presented the right way, it's a very practical thing to do. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like I know you were talking like oh, you were talking about people with like fire extinguishers. Like yeah, look at you have, you have a you have a good lock on your door. You have a fire extinguisher. All right, now if you lose power, do you have enough food? Like you lose power from a tornado or hurricane or whatever storm you have in your, your local area. It's like you have that supplies to get you through those few days. Right. Do you have the tools to cook the food you have? Great. You know what? You guys, you guys are well off. You have a bunch of food in your cabinets all the time. Power's cut off. But how do you cook it? I've seen people in that situation, too, where they just they had an abundance, which is great for them. But then they literally had no way to cook it off grid or or on their own, you know. Oh, yeah. Like It's, it's the like very little things like for me, like my golden rule is for my truck, because I can get about 400 miles, I think, on a full tank. If I'm traveling somewhere, I'll go down to half a tank if I'm traveling somewhere far. But like day to day, I keep it about three quarters at the minimum. Just so like, okay, I can get 300 miles. That's up to my where my outside bug in location is and halfway back home. Like, I feel confident with that. That, that, you know, that is such an interesting radius to mention, too, because that's kind of the radius I talk about, because I think you know, weather could drastically change within that radius. I think sometimes you'll experience the same weather within like kind of a hundred mile radius. But once you get to that two, 300 mile radius, you could drastically change the situation you're in. If you have a bunch of tornado warnings, you have a bunch of like a hurricane bearing down on you or something like that. So being able to be adaptable at any point to go that range is, is not maybe talked about enough either. So I think it's really cool that you keep your gas tank that way. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's the deal where I was looking at it's like you if you break like you really think like all your vehicle is whether it's two wheel drive car or four wheel drive truck, your vehicle is essentially a backpack for you because you can have extra gear in there. You have heat and air conditioning providing maintain your vehicle. You have, and you have transport, so you have and you also have shelter too. So you can right, it's a bug it's a bug out location on wheels. It's a bug out bag on wheels. It, you get the right vehicle. I mean, it's basically it's your it's your um it could be your command center. Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that like that's why I recommend people look at their vehicle. Like, hey, can I use it for this? Like, if it's not big a deal, don't exactly do stuff to damage your vehicle to survive. But you know, if you have you you have to do what you have to do. Situation's bad enough. Like I've seen dual survival where they tear a car apart and they take their seatbelts as rope, it's like, all right, well, I'd rather just go to the store right now and spend $10 on paracord and not cut my seatbelt. <laughs> when I survive the disaster, I don't have to buy a new seatbelt. Right. And hey, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I was looking at, like, um, changing the color of my seatbelt. Those are not cheap. I had no clue that seatbelts were so expensive. Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know what they run. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not cheap. They got to be a special material, and they have to be able to withstand a whole lot. Yeah, I if I wanted to have the seatbelts match the color of my car, and I kind of looked it up for these aftermarket seatbelts. It was like six hundred bucks. I was like, oh, cool. never mind, never mind. I thought it was going to be maybe like a hundred, hundred fifty dollars, and it was not the yeah. case at all. And like one deal too, it's good to have is the the have a seatbelt cutter and window breakers are. I mean, I hear it's starting to come obsolete because I think it's twenty eighteen. The same glass your windshield's made out of your is your side windows now, but having a seatbelt cutter and a window breaker in your vehicle, and I I keep one of my center console like a pocket knife, and I have one that's a, just a it has a bright green handle on it, and I keep that in my sun visor next to my trauma kit. Nice, you know I actually have one in my sun visor, one in my center console, and then I do have it on my knife as well because you don't know which one you're going to be able to reach based on an accident. Oh, yeah. And for, like, my trauma kit, I have, like, two pairs of, like, rubber gloves, two chest seals, combat gauze, and a cat tourniquet. And I, I use a cheap rubber band to put my uh, cat tourniquet on my sun visor. And because uh, I was watching a YouTuber, and he was talking, and he usually goes, I, use a, I have a bright orange tourniquet, so in case I say, so, go to my truck, grab the orange thing, they know what to grab. And I used a cheap rubber band that way that if under the stress, you're not trying to take it out of a holster or anything. You just take a rubber band if it breaks. That's what it's there for. Yeah, I, I, like I, I, I like that idea. That might be something I would adapt because I just have like a standard black um, tourniquet. And and I'm I'm actually really into high visibility stuff um, for like when you're camping and in survival. So you, if you drop it, it doesn't um, blend in with the surroundings that you're able to actually see it. A lot of my stuff is neon, but I never thought about that um for a survival kit if you're in your car if you're directing someone to it so that might that's probably something i'm going to change after this podcast so i just picked up some good knowledge from you there i like that yeah yeah because yeah i think it was at, oh was it bear independence he was talking about some of the stuff he runs on his atvs and stuff then but yeah like the rest of my tourniquets i just use like the standard black ones i just have that orange one like like hey go to my sun visor and then i have a next i have another trauma kit underneath my uh, back seat which at that point, it's like, go grab the red bag, and they, they'll know what to grab. 
That's awesome. I got I got to really consider that. And you know what? Barry Independent is great. I'm glad you watch him. Um, I, I'm sure you've seen me share some of his stuff before. So, so much of what I try to do is uh, point people in the right direction to other people who are just giving out a ton of information. I think Bear, if you go back and you watch some of his catalog stuff, I mean, you could get to a point of preparedness that is beyond anyone out there who's doing anything like that. And I, I like how he um, he has a good mix of giving great detailed knowledge plus pontificating a little bit about the world around us oh yeah yeah i think he's definitely uh one of the more underrated preppers out there but um before we end this podcast is there any like special message you want to put out there for everybody or anything specific you want to talk about uh so yeah let's see i want to go let's see i think we kind of talked about what else we talked about the radar what i was kind of prepping for yeah let's see one thing to kind of keep in mind is uh, I, I mentioned on the the your the was the Mighty Network uh, that what the, the app is having a dog a medical medical kit for your dog is a good thing to have and then also getting like medical training because three years ago I got my they call it it's EMR it's emergency medical responder I went through that and that was way overboard for what I needed at the time. Because I essentially got a first responder medical certificate out of the deal, but with that, I I've, I've rather been over uh, overtrained than undertrained in a situation. Right. Yeah, because it's kind of like, oh, hey, I uh, it's like realistically, like I'm I'm certified as Narcan, which like I'm never going to use that on anybody because I can't buy it. You can't exactly go to go to a pharmacy and go, hey, I want to buy this. <laughs> it's, that's that's the stuff people don't know. It's used for uh people are having an opiate overdose right and it's like even if i could buy it, it's like i don't want to be that guy like hey i uh saved your i saved his life he's bleeding out though because i stabbed him because he tried to claw my face because i killed his high right like it's like i don't want i don't have that liability yeah or even just the risk of it now you got some infectious disease and oh yeah yeah well but anyways, okay, cool. So medical training, and I think that dog kit is um, really, really um, a good topic, and I like that when you posted that as well. Having having some uh, survival stuff in mind for your pets. Um, we just recently uh, went through a um, survival situation for our cat, and it boiled down to, you know, we had to take that cat to the vet, but we tried to do a couple things at home for the cat that just didn't quite work, but what it came back down to and what I talk about all the time with people is it wasn't a financial drain on us. We were financially prepared to help our pet. So I think that's one of those things that if you're a pet owner that you should have not only some emerging state stuff on hand for that animal, but be financially prepared to take that animal to get the treatment that it deserves and needs. Yeah. Cause it, like right now it's, it's easy to get medicine in. Like it's easy to get, long-term dog food right now it's not exactly cheap but like you can get you can get animal food that lasts long and that's the deal for me like even like regular food with people it's like it's easy now to get ready for what's to come but or what could what could come yeah and the timetable is shortening i don't i'm not sure exactly how long you follow me but um since before 2015 i have been talking about mission 2024 because i believe and i think we've seen it if you've been following me since 2015 is every year since then it has got exponentially harder to prepare 
So oh, if you yeah. were, everything that you're buying now, had you bought that in 2015 when I was first talking about all this, how much cheaper would it be, right? How much easier would have been to accumulate more? I, I think 2024 is going to be a huge demarcation zone for oh, it, it, Yeah, I agree because the deal is like that's around election year. So I, I say by probably September, October at, at the earliest, definitely, but around the beginning when they start doing election campaigns, when there's be another run on ammo. Oh yeah, 100%. It's me a lot and cuz the biggest rounds people go after I think it's like 9 mm or 5.56223.22 and then I think it's 762 and maybe I think 45 is in there. Yep. So but you know right now it's as simple as oh, I'm going to buy a box you you go to a store it's you no know, like we have a store it's like a fleet farm up here where they have hunting stuff they have like stuff for uh, homesteads and like they have you know stuff that's all right cool i'm here i might as well grab an extra box of nine millimeter i might as well grab an extra box of this and yeah it, peak it, COVID, it peak COVID, you couldn't even get ammo oh no yeah i was talking to some like you buy ammo it's like no so you go to range I'm like i can't I'm like why like you can't you can't shoot like what time of guns like i don't want to feel like for a nine millimeter i'm like i don't feel like pulling a thing a dollar every time i pull the trigger <laughs> right and pe- yeah. people People, you guys, you guys, I think this was a, a great episode. And Wesley, man, I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you kind of in a long form format. And I hope to get to do it more. Um, I really appreciate you coming on with me. Um, where can people find you? Um, yeah, so Facebook and uh, Instagram, it's West, uh, what author Wesley Hoppy. And let's see, then the, that you're uh, the mighty, the Oasis Network and the Mighty Network, the deal with you. And that's just Wesley Hoppy. But yeah, those are the only things I don't post a whole lot on Instagram or Facebook through those deals anymore. It's mainly the prepping page for with you guys. So, uh, but yeah, I, that, I do, I don't do a whole lot of online stuff. Awesome. Well, yeah, you guys, um, if you guys join the, the preppers club, there'll be a link in the bio in this podcast. There's a link on all of our social medias to join the Preppers Club. Um, you get to come in and meet people just like Wesley, meet people like myself, get to be able to have these conversations, just bounce ideas off each other. I learned I learned something from you in this podcast. I learned something from you and the post that you made in the Preppers Club. So it's always good just to pick up information from people and kind of continue that knowledge loop of sharing your information with people who want to be informed, who people want to be engaged in life and people who want to preserve their own life and be prepared for whatever's coming down the road. So, um, man, thank you for coming on the podcast. This is going to air on Easter. So if you guys are taking any point in your day on Easter to listen to this podcast, I'm truly personally humbled by that and surprised. And I thank you for that. Um, the show is going to be more guest driven going forward. So Wesley, I hope that you want to come back on and we could just dig deeper into any topic you want to talk about in the future or just shoot the shit like we did now and talk about what's going on and what, how our philosophies on prepping. And hopefully that sparks some ideas for people down the road, but thank you so much for coming on with me. I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Have a good one. Awesome.